Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is the uh, first of a series of four classes on the foundations of mindfulness. That, that topic may not seem to you quite as juicy as some of the others we've done. <laughs> it's kind of like studying the habits of migrating birds in the 17th century. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, though, that uh, that the spirit of these uh, classes will um, make it uh, known, if it's not known already, that the, the wonders uh, about this topic of mindfulness. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to go right to, um, we're going to bypass my teaching and go right to the Buddha's teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I lose out again. Uh, and I put a, a, a copy of um, the Foundations of Mindfulness uh, from the suttas, from the Buddha suttas on the desk there. And there are only 40 copies, so if couples will only take one copy, I think there'll be plenty for everybody to have one. And uh, your assignment next for next week is to read this thoroughly. Become very familiar with this, this all-important um, sutta. And uh, may I say that it's the foundation not only for Vipassana meditation or Theravada meditation, but also for Zen and Tibetan meditation as well. So it's really the foundation on which all Buddhist practice is um, developed. Uh, the problem is, I think that um, uh, sometimes we refer to this meditation that we do here together uh, as mindfulness meditation. Uh, I prefer insight meditation uh, because um, mindfulness is just a technique to get the insight. It's a little bit like uh, saying, talking about the fork rather than the dinner. And uh, we can spend so much time focusing on the tool that we really forget uh, what the tool is supposed to do for us. And it, so mindfulness is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And I hope, um, <clears throat> I hope people really understand that uh, deeply because I know that uh, uh, in this tradition, uh, I have known many people who have gotten lost in the technique holding on to the technique for salvation. And, uh, well, to use the analogy of the fork, it would be um, keeping the fork around and forgetting to eat. So uh, mindfulness, uh, again, is just a, a method. It's just a technique. But it's a very, uh, it, it has a amazing beauty in its simplicity. And uh, I think that's what draws many of us to it. It certainly drew me to it. It doesn't have a lot of extras. There's not a lot of extras in this practice. Nothing's guaranteed. <laughs> Sometimes you wonder what, <laughs> what we're doing here. <laughs> there aren't... Uh, <laughs> A lot of milestones. 
You can't uh, wear the badge of mindfulness on your chest. Aren't any certificates that are given or degrees. It's really kind of hard to demonstrate it to somebody. And nobody really knows whether you're doing it or not except you. <laughs> so all in all, it's, uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of ego gratification. And as a matter of fact, it's just the opposite because when you shine the light of your attention, of our attention on, on the ego, the ego squirms a great deal. And I think some of you have probably seen that happen when you get up from your meditation practice after you sit a, at home you immediately go to the telephone to call your friend or turn on the TV or go to the refrigerator some way to sort of get the stimulation back so that uh, you can get regrounded uh, in, in yourself you see rather than just I mean when you're sitting here who are you right I mean, it's pretty undefined. It's pretty amorphous. So then you get up, the bell rings, you think, wow, I, you know, you don't think this, but this is, in fact, what happens. You, uh, you consciously make a, or unconsciously make a decision to re-engage yourself so that you'll have a foothold back in life, so that you'll be somebody. And uh, I, that's part of the mindfulness. I mean, that's part of the insight. It's how it is that we become engaged and how it is that we lose that sense of who we are when we're not engaged. But let me talk a little bit about mindfulness itself and a little bit about mindfulness of the body, which is what I want to talk about tonight. And then we're going to go, uh, surprisingly enough, four classes and four foundations. We're going to take one foundation right after the other. Uh, and, um, and try to throw some light on what we're doing. You know, I, I teach, um, I teach uh, beginning courses, which I uh, love to do. And I'm teaching one over in the east side now. Uh, and it's, it's always interesting to me how difficult it is uh, to actually learn what you're doing when, in, from the beginning. And I try to put myself in the, in the, beginning, uh, sh the beginner's shoes as I listen to my instructions. And often I come away from that evening thinking, I don't know if I could do it if I was just starting. There's just... You know, it's so difficult to get through the mind's ability um, to cloud and obscure. It's so difficult to actually touch anything that's real when you're just beginning. And you don't know what we're doing. We're just kind of walking around going, what? Uh, you just sort of practice it on faith, on somebody saying that this will ha something good will happen if you do it. And it's so difficult to have any grounding and understanding uh, and I feel like people who actually make it through those six weeks have done some of the most difficult work uh, that they'll ever do. And um, I, I have a lot of admiration 
and appreciation for people who stick with it like that, especially in the beginning, because it becomes self-motivating. It becomes spontaneously motivating as you go on and you begin to get it. And most people here have enough track history where you aren't battling the method uh, as much as you were in the beginning. Now, you, I'm sure you're all still doubting because that's one of the hindrances and it does stay with you for a long time. But it probably isn't quite as bad as that first time that you sat down on the cushion wondering what this was all about. And it's, it's doubly hard because this is such an austere practice. If I could uh, paint pictures and give you mandalas and have you, uh, you know, do malas, chant, do some Sufi dancing, some chanting, pranayam, then some yoga, <laughs> you know exactly what you're doing. You'd come back every week. But if I talk about uh, non-judgmental awareness, acceptance, allowance. Those are beautiful words that mean absolutely nothing in terms of what we carry around inside of ourselves. They seem impractical. They seem like they could have a purpose, but how do you ever apply a purpose like allowance? Sounds like something your mother gives you. <laughs> when you do your chores. And we live um, so distant and separate so far from the real. I, uh, I work with a, a, another person and she's uh, just about the same age I am and she plays soccer. And uh, she's, all, she's been there about three years and in that three years she's had two serious injuries from soccer. One uh, was her neck and she had to have an operation on her neck from this soccer. And, and then the second one just happened and she had two um, ligaments or something in her leg break or snap and she has to have another operation on that. And I said, you know, <laughs> about aging, you, ha you have to start being aware of your body and what it can do. And she said, don't talk to me about that. She said, I don't want to hear that. You sound like my mother. <laughs> she said, But how distant and separate we can live from what it is that's going on in us. I mean, it may not be pleasant to tune into, for God's sake, but it's the real. Or do we want to live just according to the imagination? Do we want to live according to a world of fiction? I mean, that's why I'm writing uh, this book on death and in, on every page what comes to me as I'm writing is the real. It's the real. Death is real. Death in moment, death, ongoing death. The beginning and endings of things. Change, transition, aging. And it's just, um, one of the reasons I enjoy writing is it gets me away from all of the pretension that I live with every single day at work and solving problems, fictional problems in a world that is based in the real of death, the real of change.
And we have this technique called mindfulness that is a blessing. I honor the tradition of 2,500 years of this being passed down. And it's a method through the imagination to the real. It's a method of touching, touching the earth. And the beautiful image of the Buddha as he sits with, in the midst of his imagination, the force of all the problems that was going on inside of him, self-questioning, should I be doing this, and what am I doing, and all of that stuff. The imagination, he looks through the imagination and he places his hand on the ground and he comes back to the real. And that's mindfulness. That's what it does. It cuts right through the fiction to the real. You see, it touches the earth again. And it does so by not interfering. Just ask yourself who you trust the most. And it will probably be not necessarily your partner or your parents. It'll be the person who has, who interferes with you the less. That's the person who's the most trustworthy. The person who doesn't contaminate your monologues and dialogues and relationship with a lot of judgment. And here is a method that we tune in to ourselves in which we uh, allow ourselves to trust. Why do we trust it? Because it adds nothing to what is seen. It doesn't color it with our opinions. It doesn't force a judgment on it or a reaction. It does nothing but show you, highlight. It's like light. It just reveals. And therefore, it can totally trustworthy. So we have this ability to shine this spotlight on whatever actions, whatever behavior, whatever sense door we want. And at that moment of contact, what is revealed is what is revealed. That is it. That's it. It's not distorted. It's not pretended. It's not the imaginary. It's exactly what is. And it's because of its stark simplicity that it's this it's as difficult as it is to do. Because the complexity and imagination of the mind stands in such contrast that this simple, simple movement of the mind towards just being with what is real is seems so difficult. We don't allow past influences. We don't allow anything to color what is real. Just what is seen. Just the way it is. Just things seen as they are. If we added anything to it, could we trust it? Most of us don't have a, much of a sense of self-trust. Because inside somewhere we know that we, we indulge in the facts. We elaborate on the facts. 
real honesty is not often revealed within us. And we just don't have much motivation to even access it. Because we receive a lot of reinforcement in our pretending. And yet it's not completely satisfying to pretend. It's not completely satisfying to our hearts to be other than what we really are. And so we're caught walking in one way with our mind and yet our heart pulling us in another. So I want to spend some time tonight not just talking about mindfulness because mindfulness is kind of abstract. But mindfulness of something. Mindfulness of the body. You know, it's interesting. I um, I often uh, see people walking in nature and feeling um, a great sense of appreciation for nature, and yet uh, very distant uh, from their own body. Uh, either they've lived a life of of self-dislike in which the body has not been cared for, has not been properly attuned, but somehow they feel that their heart resonates in nature, but not in the body. But I believe that we cannot love nature and hate the body because those two are one and the same thing. I believe that we really have to be attuned to the body, attuned within the body, to truly love nature. Because the body is nature. The body is the earth. The body has the elements of the earth. Where do we think it sprung forth from? Where do we think this thing came from? This is the earth. This is every bit like the falling of the leaves that make the fertilizer, that bring the new plants to bear, and the growth and the death. That's what this body is. We put it in a sealed coffin to try to preserve it. But in a million years, the coffin will be gone as well, and it'll all be part of the earth again. And I think that we really have to get in touch with the body. And it doesn't mean that we have to like it, but we have to be with it. We have to be with it no matter how we are with it. And unfortunately, you know, with Cosmopolitan magazine shining off the grocery counter magazine racks every time you go in, it's very hard to live with yourself without thinking that you are somehow incomplete in your body. And we live with a sense of that, uh, well, we should be doing something about ourselves. We should be running or we should be exercising in some way, sleeping more, getting more of this, building this up. 
And it's the foundation for how we are on the earth. It's how we live in the body. It is the foundation for our first step out onto the earth. It is the earth being carried with us as we walk. Now it doesn't mean that we love every mountain or we love every stream. But we can be with it all. We can be with that. We can appreciate it anyway, even if we don't like it. Even if it doesn't hold up to our comparisons and our judgments. Even if it doesn't hold up to the magazine covers. We can still, even if it ages, when it ages, it presents other problems, but it doesn't have to take us away from the earth. The amount of suffering that goes along with that, that anorexia and bulimia and all of the different body-centered problems because, you know, some people have um, immune deficiencies. Now, what is immune deficiency but the body eating itself. So what, what kind of attitude or what kind of psychic posture in life would lead to the body eating itself? Unless we somehow have that sense of self-dislike of the body. body just doesn't eat itself naturally. And then there are other traditions that try to put the spirit outside of the body and think, okay, the body is here, but the real spirit is over here somewhere. And so what we'll do is we'll deny the body or we'll abuse the body or we'll do whatever we have to so that the normal tendencies of the body are not ma made manifest, like sexuality. And we'll hold those in check, because somehow those aren't of the spirit. Somehow the body isn't of the spirit. I mean, it has to toilet and get cleaned and groomed and all of the... So that can't possibly be of the refined nature of the spirit, can it? Well, I hope we're mature enough now to see the fallacy of that kind of thinking that the spirit and the body are absolutely identical. There's not a hair's breadth difference between them. As a matter of fact, they're exact. To even say they're identical means that there are two. They're this one and the same thing. And all of the activity that goes with the body is to be explored through this mindfulness, to be understood, to be cultivated, to be looked at, to be watched, to be un investigated, to be revealed. So that the whole thing is a book with just different chapters, all waiting to be revealed. We're not trying to deny anything. We're not trying to get over anything. Not trying to get through anything. This is it. The mind, the body, the spirit are one and the same thing. They have to be in alignment as one and the same thing. And then everything is revealed. 
And we do that through mindfulness. We do that through the power of our ability to make contact, to touch something is real, and everything lines up. When we live with our imagination over here and our reality over here, our body this way, and the love of nature over here, but yet we're hating who we are, nothing is in alignment. And yet the moment we come and touch who we are and see with clarity through all that imagination, everything is in aligned. Mind, body, and spirit are in aligned through a simple observation, a simple awareness, a simple attention. And we begin to feel, no matter how, whether our bodies are good or bad in perspective to the culture, we begin to feel comfortable in the body. No matter how it compares, no matter how it lives up to the magazine. Because the body gives us a sense of belonging. Belonging to the earth and belonging to the elements. Belonging to the fundamental quality that make up all of life. And this sense of belonging, if I might say, is really missing in the West. It's much more relevant. It's much more attuned to in the East, where there's a sense of community and a sense of participation. And in the West, we have such a high, we give such a high ideal to individualism they were all just individuals running around in sort of pretentious communities. We have the community of this and the community of that, but they're not really communities. It's a group of individuals that are working, living there. So we have very little sense of belonging to anything. So we try, we look around to some, you see, I mean, you get a sense of Sangha in this whole thing. Sangha is not just a small thing. It gives us a sense of belonging it gives us a sense of ground. You see? The ground. The ground. Buddha said, every contact in relationship is a spiritual contact. Every time you meet another person, that's a spiritual contact. Because it's through our, your heart that my heart can also open. You allow me access to my own heart, to my own ability to love. To understand this sense, this belonging isn't a, a sense of a possession, or possessing, or holding on. It's a sense of being a part of being connected to, not being separated from. So it's not a neurosis. It's ownership, but not in the <coughs> sense of me or my. It's a sense of just being a part of, a community, a part, inseparable from. The body is really the contact point between the earth and the heaven. 
I, I love the image of the Sistine Chapel, Chapel because it's so, you know, there's this body on earth and then, and it's at that touch point. That touch point. So we have the body, but we're not limited by the body. We're not limited to being enclosed within the body. But it's the ground from which the spirit springs. It's, it is the spirit springing forth. So the Buddhists talked about contemplating the body as the body. If we can get to the Satipatthana Sutta, which is what we're supposed to be studying here. <laughs> it's hard to keep me on track. Mindfulness of breath. A person knows when he is breathing long or short. He sees the body both vanishing and arising. This is from the handout I just gave you. So what does that mean? So when we're sitting and we're noticing the breath, we know whether the breath is, we notice the breath is long or short. We don't say to ourselves, long breath, short breath, short breath, long breath. It's just we notice the whole movement of breath. And sometimes when the mind is so focused on breath, there's only breath. The body vanishes. The idea of somebody breathing, in other words, vanishes. The body doesn't vanish. The idea of the body vanishes. And then there'll be a sense of me breathing and the body will reappear. And that sense of vacuity and substance, emptiness and form, back and forth in the breathing. And you get a sense of which, which is it? Is it, are we nothing or are we something? And we can talk a great deal about that at some point. And we do this walking, Buddha says, sitting, lying down or standing. I know what I'm doing at all times. Do you know what you're doing right now as you're listening? Are you located where you're listening? Are you making contact? Investigate the entire body from head to foot. And there are many uh, meditation techniques, mindfulness techniques, which open the body up to that kind of awareness. There are sweeping techniques where you bring your attention from the top of the head and you sweep your attention through your body to the tip of your toe and then you just keep doing that over and over again and what comes out of that is a sense of the of the body being anything but uh, a solid thing. It opens up enormous space within the body, a feeling of spaciousness. And then the body also teaches us about the mind, of course, and how some of us overgroom and are very fastidious about the body, how we get impatient with the body, how we get, we won't listen to the body, See, all of those are patterns of mind that operate uh, with us uh, through our relationship with the body. And it also teaches us how we work with pain, or how we are with pain. Knee pain, back pain, headaches. Where do you think pain arises? <laughs> right here. Here it is. So we get a sense of our relationship to pain in the body, with our tuning in, being mindful with the body. So it shows us patterns of mind. It shows us our relationship to pain. It shows us what the nature of the body really is. 
I mean, really, sometimes just sit down, close your eyes, and go to the feeling of what the body is. I mean, it's just sensations that are arising. Like, as one teacher says, it's like walk, looking outdoors up at the bunch of stars, points of sensation, saying, oh, there's the Big Dipper. Well, the Big Dipper are just points of stars. And it's like when we sit here and you shut our eyes, we feel points of sensation. And we open our eyes and we say, oh, there's the body. And we put all those points, like drawing, you know, one, those dots together to form the diagram of the body. And then we live according to some reality that, in fact, isn't true. I mean, it's this, but this is not what we conceive it to be. So, the meditation takes us into, into the truth of what the body is, away from our misconceptions. You know, I'd just like to mention, if I could, how mind and matter condition one another. How mind conditions mind. How mind conditions the body. How body conditions the body. And how body conditions the mind. How mind conditions matter. For feeling anxious, Right? Our mind is anxious. Our body is tense. So, the mind conditions matter. Then how matter conditions the mind. If I get physically sick, that makes my mind sluggish or dull. So, matter influences mind. Then how mind influences mind. I go outside in the cold and I get physically cold. From that physical coldness, that's matter, I get a desire or an intention to go back inside. And a desire from that, that's mind, and then from that desire comes the intention to move and to go back inside, which is mind, conditioning mind. And then I, I find myself walking back indoors. And then how matter conditions matter. And that's very simple by you do it uh, when we eat. After you eat, the food affects the matter, affects the matter. So there are things are all tied together. We think you know that uh, there the relationships between matter and mind and mind and mind and matter and matter are all interconnected all along the way. And it's very fascinating to become mindful of how these different components work. We could make a, a long and involved study of just that, of how mind conditions matter, or matter conditions matter, mind conditions mind. You see, it's taking the whole thing apart, all of it, all the assumptions that we make, everything, starting at <coughs> step one and re-looking at this whole idea. It's what it's really doing is it's making the practice our own. I can sit up here and I can talk about it, send you home, do homework, you come back, and if you didn't do homework, you just listen to the talk and you just assume the things that are being said as being right or something, or wrong, or whatever judgment you make. But 
unless we actually begin to see these things for ourselves in our practice, they remain ideas. And you have to take them home and really apply them, which is what the homework is supposed to do. <clears throat> I feel like I'm talking too long. So mindfulness of the body, it's where we start. It's where we once were when we were first born. And in some ways we just have to relearn to come back into it. Many of us have suffered enormous abuse through the body. And it's the last place we want to call home. We've been judged throughout our life in one way or the other, classified as being attractive or not. And so we have often a lot of either pleasant or unpleasant experiences associated with it. But regardless, we have to come back to it. We have to get back involved with it. We have to tune into it, and we have to make it the base camp from which we move out to any other kind of self-discovery. So as difficult as a story about migrating birds is to listen to, come back to your body, and we'll spend this week together focused in on body awareness. Can we sit for a minute or two? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.